Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, stay with us as the sun gets set to shine. Mary, the guy heard. Here's the jump shot. Comes to Marley. A long three. He got it. He got it. Into Booker. Here's the three. Suzanne! Sir Charles. And he flies in for a wham, bam, slam. Bravo time. He got it. Welcome to 7 Seconds or Less, a podcast about the NBA and the Phoenix Suns. My name is Max McCauley and I am joined, as always, by my co-host. His name is David Nash. David, we've only had a few days to process the 2019 NBA draft, yet now we're here only one week away from free agency. I know, the NBA moves very fast, Max, and as you said, it feels like we only just spoke, which I guess is true, but it is a chilly Monday morning here in Melbourne, Australia, about four degrees celsius which i had a quick look i think that's about 39 40 degrees in your measurements so pretty brisk david this is going to be a fun podcast as promised this is nerdcast 2019 (laughs) and i don't know about you david but i have never prepared even close to this much for a podcast i definitely have more notes than usual so yeah i think you just tweeted earlier that you definitely have more notes than usual i'm probably more of the note taker out of the two of us but we're both coming very very prepared for this one and i hope the listeners are going to enjoy it because i'm really excited that draft reaction pod was all pretty raw and ad hoc straight after the draft but you know last year's version of this which was pretty early on in in the pod's lifespan was one of my favorite eps and i think a lot of other people enjoyed it too so uh, we've kind of upped the ante here, and we've got a little bit more even to jump into for this one. Yes, we do. So, as David alluded to, we're going to start with, or not start with, but we're going to get to the bulk of the episode, which is going to be our annual Mock Suns free agency. Yep. Where each of us take a turn acting as the GM of the Phoenix Suns and sort of simulate free agency with the other person acting as the other teams and player agents mm-hmm. negotiating with us. Uh, as you said, we did it last year. People seem to really like it, so we're excited to, to do it again. But uh, this year, we've enhanced it. So we're going to start, before we get into it at all, we're going to do something kind of new. We're going to do like a full-on breakdown of the Suns' salary cap situation. Let me explain what I mean a little bit. David and I get more questions about the Suns' salary cap situation than literally anything else. Yes. Did you say that's true, David? I very much agree with that. So given the obvious desire from listeners to sort of understand how all this stuff works better, we decided we'd, we'd try something kind of unique here. We're going we're gonna to try to walk through uh, in plain, understandable English all the NBA league rules that apply to the Suns free agency situation this year, you know, including cap mechanisms they can use to create more space yep. and acquire players. And just try to do it relatively quickly in an interesting way and in a way that really anyone can understand if they don't have a whole lot of knowledge of this stuff. Uh, we worked pretty hard on this, David, and I don't know about you, I'm pretty excited for it. Yeah, me too. And I just encourage if anyone has questions after it, still more than happy to answer some because you know specific cases and case studies hopefully we'll see it play out in a lot of our mocks as well so people will kind of see the practicality of what we're talking about but yeah I think it's definitely worth doing because there's a lot of misconceptions out there about what the Suns can do and you and I Mm. are both nerds when it comes to this so very (laughs) happy to pass on the information because to be perfectly honest people pass the information on to me for the most part um, other than doing a little bit of my own digging as well so paying it forward a little bit here Max. 
And we do understand that not everybody listening is a nerd like us. Most of you probably are, but not everybody. <laughs> so if you're bored by stuff like this, yeah, feel free to skip it. Not going to hurt our feelings. We put the uh, sh- in the show notes the times of all the segments. Yep. Uh, so you can you can go ahead and go to what you want to listen to. Did you know right after this? Or, you know, whatever. Uh, it's fine with us. But if you're on the fence, I recommend giving it a try. Like I said, we tried really hard to make this understandable, entertaining. And I think you'll find it very useful if, if this stuff is at all interesting to you. But uh, that's not all. We're also going to do brief scouting reports on Cam Johnson and Ty Jerome. Mostly mine because you kind of gave yours. You'll pipe in, though. Yep. And uh, and then we'll finish with brief discussion of some of the other guys the Suns have brought on. Jalen LeCue, Tariq Owens, Jared Harper, and also, of course, we'll do Did You Know and Seven Seconds or Less. David, this is going to be a long podcast. Jam-packed. But uh, what listeners are probably used to from us by now, so... Uh, We were very short in our draft reaction pod to our normal time, so definitely going to be making up for it on this one, Max. Yes, that was 44 minutes, which is very short by our standards. (laughs) But uh, before we get into the uh, scouting report, mini scouting reports, can you, David, give us a little bit of recap of what's happened kind of in the draft and since then? Sure. As far as recaps really go, it, it really has basically all been the draft at the moment unless of course you're following gambo repeatedly saying no (laughs) d'angelo russell which is what most of us are following at the moment and uh almost rooting against i would say but it's probably worth noting that he's brought up some other names and some other names have come up in in the media overall in terms of free agency which is obviously going to be a big bulk of our pod today so Corey joseph seems to be out there quite a lot ricky rubio Patrick Beverly, Darren Collison. Uh, that's kind of the point guard names we've been looking at. Uh, Gambo threw up Wayne Ellington and Rodney Magruder, which was kind of a little bit of left field, but I think <laughs> Suns might be looking for backup point guard type guys. And then at power forward, we've got Thad Young, Aminu, Frank Kaminsky's name come up, which I yeah, hate. I and Mike Scott, which I guess would probably be a cheap option. And he had a little bit of a resurgence last season. Um, so that would be an interesting name to see. So it's also worth noting, as I said, Gambo's kind of outlined that point guard, shooting guard, and power forward are probably what they're still looking at going into free agency. So we saw the Dario Saric move, but if you look at the depth chart, it, it, it's still really just him at power forward. So definitely a hole to fill there. And obviously everyone keeps talking about the starting point guard position as probably the biggest priority for the Suns. But back to the draft, because we're going to roll with some more thoughts, as you said, on these guys, because we kind of just quickly went over them in our reaction pod. But just to run over exactly what happened on that busy draft day, Phoenix obviously traded TJ Warren in the 32 for cash. I want to mention cash had to come back in that trade, Max. It's not just Robert Mm -hmm. Sava looking for more cash, as I saw a few people say. That's a silly analysis of that trade, in my opinion. Uh, Then six went out for 11 and Saric, as I said. We then drafted Cam Johnson, which we'll get into in a minute. And then when we thought it was probably all done and we could jump on our reaction pod, Max, they traded the Milwaukee 2021st, which we should note is going to be probably worse than a 25th pick next year, I'd imagine, Max. Probably, yeah. And they traded that to get back into the draft at 24, and also Aaron Baines. They drafted Ty Jerome at 24, who we're also going to talk about very shortly. And then very soon after the draft, they signed a young rookie point guard straight out of high school. Now, I would call this Lecky, which I know is going to be wrong in American that is not terms. Right. Yeah, so that is not right. <laughs> I'll go with what you said before, Max, which was? His name is Jalen LeCue. There you go. LeCue. 
so they got him after the draft. That's a two-year guaranteed four-year deal in total, which is an interesting one. Quite a smart asset move there from the Suns. And then we should note, we might touch on these guys very briefly, but Tariq Owens and Jared Harper both joined and probably just for summer league spots. I imagine they won't be any guaranteed contracts there or anything like that. And then, Max... We moved to Tyler Johnson, I believe, the day following the draft, opting in, as we all thought, to his player option for the 2019-2020 season, which we all expected. But as you said at the top there, Max, I think this is a nice segue into maybe having some more detailed thoughts on these younger guys, particularly Jerome and Johnson. Yes, one small thing that just popped my mind on, on Tyler Johnson uh, do you think that the timing didn't seem coincidental, right? He was he did not want to get traded during the draft. I tweeted as soon as I saw it. I think it happened while I was asleep, but uh, I can't remember exactly what I said, but a very cunning move by Tyler. I think I'd mentioned this in the lead up to the draft a little bit is uh, the reason he was basically the only one who hadn't opted in around the whole league before the draft mm-hmm. is because he was making sure he was not traded on draft night. Uh, and specifically to the Cavs, I think would have been something that would have <laughs> been a possibility with Tyler, so uh, he protected his own neck on that one. Yeah, isn't it nice, Suns fans? Somebody wanted to stay here, at least rather than go to the Cavs. But uh, all right, let's get into this. Ty Jerome we're going to start with here, David. Yes. Um, so I, I have a number of thoughts. I'm just going to run through, and we'll start with the positive stuff, of which there is a lot. Yes. A lot of college star players fail in the NBA, David, guys who are really good in college. Mm-hmm. Ty Jerome doesn't play like a college star player, though. He, he played like a, a role player in college. He was just really good at it. He had 11 field goal attempts a game, not a lot, only a 23.4% usage. He doesn't really need to change how he plays, I don't think, when he gets to the NBA. He sort of can do the same thing he was already doing. Mm-hmm. In my mind, he does a lot of things that will work in the NBA because, you know, we'll get to his athleticism, which is bad. But he doesn't rely on it. He sees the game ahead of people, like, all the time. He gets a shot off from weird angles and, and long distances in a way that seems to catch defenders off guard a lot. Yep. And, and one thing that I think people are overlooking because of how bad his wingspan is, which, again, we'll get to, his height is good, and it, that'll matter for him, at least on offense. And one, one embarrassment I thought was really interesting, Booker at the Combine was 6'5 and 3 fourths in shoes. Mm-hmm. Jerome at the Combine was 6'5 and a half in shoes. That's only a quarter-inch difference. I, I do think Booker grew since then. Yes. But, I, but it's worth noting that their size was similar at the Combine. That, that's interesting to me. Yep, and he's a very similar size to Kobe White. Clearly not as mm-hmm. athletic as Kobe White, but a lot of the things we spoke about there in terms of neutral wingspan, but having size at the position. So, yeah, a good observation by you. And I like the uh, the thing that you brought up there with you know him not being a college star that doesn't translate because a guy we just brought up before in Frank Kaminsky, who mm-hmm. definitely didn't translate to the NBA the way he played in college. I think that's a great point by you. It's like he's coming over from being role player to role player, not star to adjusting to maybe being a role player in the NBA. Another great example of that, Suns fans saw him late this season. Jimmer Fredette was unable to make the transition. <laughs> so next thing about... Jerome, I tweeted this, but he is just such an under control and and good playmaking player. Mm -hmm. Uh, I tweeted this in per 40, but I switched to per 100 possessions because Virginia plays so slowly. Okay. In 27-18, he had 8.3 assists per 100 possessions, 3.4 turnovers per 100 possessions. Mm 2018-19, he increased that to 10.6 assists per 100 while reducing his turnovers to 3.2 per 100. David, I love nothing more than when players increase... They're playmaking uh, stats like assists and lower yep. their turnovers. 
Yeah, I thought that was a great point by you, a great observation with Jerome, because he is. He just plays completely under control and improved on that end, as you said, Max. So, yeah, I really like that. You know, I probably put it more simply and just say that he popped every time that I saw him play, which people mm-hmm. kind of question because, you know, popping generally means over-athletic jumps off the screen when you're watching him. But, you know, that's just not my taste for basketball. You know, guys generally pop for me when they're playing smart, under control, making the great play every time, you know, every damn time, as I tweeted. It, it seems to be the thing that pops for me with Ty Jerome. Yeah, the decision-making is so, so good. Uh, he also, another reason why he popped is because he made so many big plays in big games. <laughs> yes, exactly. Just constantly. Uh, so defensively, uh, I'm going to start with the, the only good things on defense for him, I think. He, <laughs> yep. he benefits from seeing the game a step ahead of others, just like he does in offense. His seal numbers were really good, despite Virginia's pace of play. Yep. Uh, this stat's not as good as the Brandon Clark, same amount of blocks as missed shots stat. But Ty Jerome, last season, actually had more steals than turnovers, and this year only had four more turnovers than steals, which I like. That's a fun stat. That is a fun one. Uh, all right, let's get to the negatives. Uh, obviously, his wingspan is literally a negative. It's, it's yes. negative compared to his height. And uh, his overall athleticism is obviously an issue. It, it was generally uh, terrible. Um, I actually looked at this, and this is back to Booker again a little bit. His uh, shuttle run and agility lane scores were quite bad. And yeah. I was comparing him to Booker, and I, I had forgotten this. Do you remember this? Booker was literally the best who was measured in his draft class like by a lot in both of those. I bring this up a lot because a lot of people try to say that Devin Booker is not exactly all that athletic. And you go back to that combine testing, he smashed that stuff, Mm -hmm. which, you know, again, another small window into what maybe a lot of people missed and why he slid to 13 in that draft to Phoenix. Because, yeah, I think the knock on him was that he was just going to be a spot up guy. And now everyone's looking at him like, how the hell did he become this lead ball handler type that can do a little bit of everything and is so shifty and crafty? And, you know, he he was athletic. I think a a lot Mm. of people saw a baby face, bit of puppy fat shooting guard that played off the bench at Kentucky and just didn't see this coming. But there's always these little windows into why guys are going to work out. And I guess that's the opposite here with Ty Jerome. He's got to overcome that because he was pretty poor in testing at the combine. Yeah, people got obsessed with Devin Booker having a bad vertical because it was terrible. And also, like you said, being kind of fat. I think it's 8% body fat. Um, And so they overlooked the fact that, you know, he was good at other athletic things because not all athletic things are the same. Good example, James Harden, just a crazy like start-stop athlete. Yeah. Um, but none of this applies to Ty Jerome, who's a terrible athlete all across the board. <laughs> uh, he's just really going to have to make do with his craft and with, like I said, him seeing the game like a step ahead of everybody else. Yep. That's really going to be uh, his key. Uh, Fred Van Vliet is maybe his best comp, if you're being positive for him on defense. Like, FEB is actually like, way smaller yes. than Ty Jerome, but just because he's such a smart player and, you know, so tenacious, he can at least kind of stay in front of guys in defense and bother people. Yep. Uh, so maybe that can be tied to Jerome a little bit. Uh, a couple scary metrics with him. I don't like his 48% career two-point percentage. Uh, yes. I think it's indicative of his bad athleticism. Uh, and then also kind of a weird fluctuating free throw percentage. Uh, the season before last, 91%, but then only 74% this year. Uh, he's going to need to be a really good shooter to succeed, uh, not just an okay one. So if, if he's just okay, that's a bit of a problem. But overall, um, I love him, David. I absolutely love him. Uh, I think he's likely to be an NBA guard of some kind. It won't shock me if he's a starter. Mm-hmm. I just think he's really, really good at basketball. And as you know, 
that's you know, that's what I default to generally. <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the only thing I will say, I really wish I would have watched him more before the Suns got him because I am a little concerned about having Suns rose-colored glasses on here yeah. evaluating him. But, yeah. you know, I, I do think I would have loved him. He's exactly the kind of guy I like. I did like him watching him in the tournament. Uh, so, David, I'm, I'm high on him. What do you think about all that? Yeah, if, if it's any consolation, as I said, he popped every time I watched him, and that was mm-hmm. when I was trying to watch DeAndre Hunter, who didn't pop as far as I was concerned when I watched him, and I was trying to watch specifically for DeAndre, and there were quite a few games, you know, I tweeted to a few people watching games of Hunter, in, actually inquiring about Ty Jerome, because I just couldn't stop looking at him, even though I was supposed to be watching the game to watch somebody else, so <laughs> that's kind of what you get out of watching Ty Jerome, at least in college. I'm really glad you brought up the two-point percentage stuff alongside the athleticism because he just doesn't have any tricks in the bag when it comes to getting into the mid-range and and getting past the first line of the defense, and that's a little concerning. He's definitely going to have to develop in that area. But, you know, outside, shot-wise, as you said, other than that that free-throw stat that you brought up, he looks like that's going to translate pretty great. Um, he passes up good shots for great ones, which is another thing for me. Mm-hmm. He moves the ball. That team just moved the ball brilliantly all season. But, you know, him in particular was just great. And he relocates after passing up as well, which, yep. you know, if you watch the Suns play offense, sometimes there's too much standing around. They don't work as a cohesive unit. And I think in both Cam Johnson and Ty Jerome here, they've got guys who know how to play within an offense and probably play within a defense too. I think they yep. haven't, they definitely haven't got two guys here that are going to be able to lock down and shut down their position or multiple positions in the NBA. But if you watch Ty Jerome, I'll uh, give a shout out to Zach Milner here, actually, who did a little scouting report on Ty Jerome, I think halfway through the year. His rotations are beautiful. Like he Mm -hmm. knows where to be all the time. And, you know, that's the kind of mindset that you have to have if your athleticism is a negative, because you need to be in spots quicker than everybody else needs to be. You know, we talk about Brandon Clark's athleticism or other guys' ridiculous wingspans. They can kind of make up for mental mistakes with their athleticism. Jerome doesn't have that. Like, he's going to have to be ahead of the play all the time to make it in the NBA. And, you know, I'm excited to see because I root for guys like this. It's like watching yourself on the basketball court sometimes, Max. (laughs) Go go up against these seven-footers ultra athletic guys and you know the ringer i think in their scouting report of ty jerome said that he plays the game in 3g but reads the game in 5g and i thought Mm. that was a perfect way to sum up ty jerome's game i love that that is fantastic uh very last point i'll make on him before i go to cam johnson and by the way i agree with literally everything you said thought that was perfect um, I think there's an outside chance, you know, you watch Virginia. I don't know if everybody listened to us watch Virginia very much. Yep. They are a slow, has grind you out team. Yes. Doesn't do anything in transition. They just grind everything. Yep. There's a chance Ty Jerome gets out into the NBA space and the NBA pace and is like a much better playmaker than we even realize. And is going to be a little bit better as a scorer because there's going to be more space for him to get around. Yep. In the in the mid range, there's a chance he kind of blows up a little bit. I I don't think he, he's not like a superstar upside. He's just not the athlete, but yep. he could be a lot better in the NBA as a scorer and playmaker. I think than he was in college. Yeah, and I think that's a great point to bring up here. I don't think we're bringing in a pure point guard. I think he's going to be a combo guard with that size. You know, the the comp that I made was Grievous Vasquez because I just think mm-hmm. you know he could play across both guard positions. 
at his peak, was quite a good player before injuries got him, and therefore the athleticism completely went out the window for him. So, yeah, I think that's a good point. He's very crafty, and, and I'd love to see that craftiness a little more in the open court because he makes the, the right pass all the time and hits yep. big shots as well. So, you know, I'm going to do a little bit more video on all of these guys once free agency's all said and done, and rather than show you you know, 15 clips of him hitting, you know, deep range threes. I'll try and pick out some of these more things we're talking about, probably with both of these players from an IQ perspective, because we don't know a lot about them other than those kind of highlight videos that we see at the moment. So only other two things that I would mention on him is in an interview, he said he met with the Suns, but did not work out, which I thought was interesting and definitely interesting when we compare it to the next guy we're going to talk about in Cam Johnson. And he wore number 11 at Virginia Max, which means he will get that number as long as Jamal Crawford doesn't come back, Max. <laughs> uh, Ty, you can have the number. You can have the number. I'm declaring <laughs> this now for you. Um, that's interesting how he didn't work out for the Suns. I will say, is there any player who you need in a workout less than Ty Jerome? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. All right, let's move on to Cam Johnson, who, uh, you know, okay, it's fine. <laughs> I like him okay. Uh, we obviously need shooting desperately. David, more yep. than anything, this team needed that. So from that vantage point, it's great. I'm glad we got the best shooter in the draft. And this guy's not just a spot-up shooter. Uh, this guy shoots off movement, different angles. Uh, Kellen even posted a clip of him creating like a nice cushion with a for a shot with a setback move. Yep. Which I like to see. Like This guy is going to be able to get a shot up in a lot of different ways. There's a lot to be excited about from that end. He's also, like Ty Jerome, very high IQ. Rarely turns the ball over. James and, Jones uh, has a type, Max. I think oh, James Jones man. has a type. I think I had the same type in a lot of ways. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, while he's not a playmaker, he's also not a black hole. He's not TJ Warren. He'll move the ball around. Yep. Um, he competes consistently. He's like Ty Jerome, not going to be a defender. But uh, his steal numbers aren't bad. He does try. He gets his uh, you know arms out in passing lanes and stuff. Mm-hmm. So is his feet, while they aren't quick by any means, they he can like stay in front of people sometimes. Like he's not a total disaster on that end. He's just not good. Yeah. Um, so, so that's the good stuff. I'm going to get to the problems <laughs> now, David. Yep. First thing, and this is the biggest thing to me, people are ignoring this stuff and, and writing it off, but the hips scare me, David. Um, yeah, I'm with you on that. When you have a bunch of NBA teams and doctors red flagging a guy, it's, it increases the risk. Sometimes this stuff doesn't work out. Look at Brandon Roy. He was awesome, and then he couldn't play anymore. Yeah. Uh, look at Devon Blair. He was awesome, and then he and he couldn't play anymore. And I mean, I know he didn't have ACL, so that's sort of a different thing. Yeah. But, uh, but still, this guy had major hip surgery, David. This is something we need to be paying attention to. The only thing that I would bring up there, Max, and he's obviously going to spin the positive on this, but in a recent interview uh, with Gambo, I believe, on Arizona Sports, he did bring up that it was corrective surgery. So basically, the way that he brought it up was it wasn't surgery to get him back to athleticism that he had before it was actually surgery to help him go up another level and as i said have caution with that statement he's clearly going to put the positive spin on it but in his mind he feels as good as he ever has and if anything the surgery was to try and take him up a level which you know if we're looking for positives here that's going to be something in Cam's game that we need. He needs a little bit more athleticism to attack closeouts and things like that. So something to watch there for sure. I think we need to be very cautious with it, particularly because there was reports that teams slid him down their boards 
purely for this very reason. And to be perfectly honest, I don't have a lot of trust that the team did their due diligence in this area and found out exactly what they needed to with these injuries. So yeah, definitely worth noting at least that uh, Cam Johnson thinks that it's all in the review mirror now. And then on the other side of that, there's a, ch- a chance. I'm not going to say. I'm not saying this is what happened. This is total speculation. I mean, Cam himself said that New Orleans wanted to take him at 17. Uh, yep. There are some other indications. Suns thought he was going to go right after them. There's a chance that these red flags that were leaked to Jonathan Gaboni were just bullshit. Uh, there's a team saying that because they want this guy and they want to scare up other teams. I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm saying there's a chance we don't know what actually happened. Yep, and I actually touched on this, I think, with Ali on Twitter a few weeks ago with the green room invites. Cam Johnson wasn't in the green room. Teams get asked for their big boards and things like that to work out who should be in the green room. Mm-hmm. Bol Bol was in the green room and slid to 44. Cam Johnson wasn't in the green room and was taken at 11. So, yes, I double down on your point. I think we saw it with the combine invites. Teams openly admitted, at least anonymously, that they weren't telling the NBA the guys that they liked from the first development combine to bring to the second combine because they wanted to hide them. And I have no doubt in my mind that teams wouldn't put Cam Johnson on their list for the green room purely because any advantage you can get, even if it's 5%, to make sure that teams don't think that you're going to take a certain guy uh, is an advantage worth taking. And I think, you know, we'd be talking about Cam very differently if the Suns managed to trade back to, say, you know, 15 where I had him on my board or the late teens and taken him. I think we'd be universally praising this move. But at the moment, at least I know for me, I can't get Culver out of my mind. And then for you and various other people, Max, it was Brandon Clark. But, you know, I love Cam Johnson as a player, and I need to say that because... Uh, he's going to be a really easy guy to root for. Uh, I'm really glad that you brought up, because I've got in big, bold text here, he's not just an open three-point shooter. Like, this guy is a gunner. Yep. Like, he off movement, you know, catch and shoot, off screens, curls, pick and pop even, pin downs. Like, he is so versatile as a shooter. The Suns didn't just pick a guy that is really great at hitting corner threes and nothing else. Like, he is a really great shooter. And I'll throw this at you, Max. I'm not a massive advanced stats guy. I know you are. I believe over the course of his career, and it was even higher in his senior year at UNC, he's a 60.1 true true shooting percentage shooter over five years in college. I think that's pretty good. It's very good, and I believe it was 65 uh, his, his yes. UNC year, which is, you know, obviously fantastic. Uh, no, I, I really don't have a whole lot of concern about him as, as a shooter. In fact, I have zero concern. I know he's a shooter. That's not going to be a problem at all. Um, and I think I think the biggest problem, other than the hips, is, and this has really been Kellen Olsen's point. He's done a good job on this. I think he's entirely right about this. He's also the go-to for negativity about this draft, so hit him <laughs> up for that. Uh, but... The fit with him is going to be really hard on this team. Uh, just kind of based on what we have now and what he is, he's not going to hold up as a power forward, at least against full-size NBA lineups. I, I just yeah. don't really see it. Yeah. His offensive skills are great as fit-wise. They're almost exactly what you want alongside Booker. But the question is going to come down to where do you play him? You know, if, if he's good enough to start, he's almost definitely a three. So does that relegate both Mikel and Uber to the bench? Or do we have some sort of a point book lineup with Mikel and him out there and Sarge and Aiton? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it could be interesting, but Cam doesn't exactly have the foot speed to guard NBA wings either in a starting lineup. So 
it's hard for me to imagine any scenario with you know no matter how good he has an offense where he starts. It's going to be really hard for that to happen. Yep. And then if he's a bench player, is he supposed to be you know next to Aaron Baines as your bench four, or is he a bench three? And again, that kind of gets into weird stuff with you know McKellar, Uber, whoever's on the bench. Yeah, I'm just really not sure what the plan with him is, especially long term. And I think ultimately this kind of demonstrates to me why Brandon Clark just made more sense. He projects as a true NBA four. You could have had him as your bench four behind Saric for a year. Before he slots in, but next to Aiton, yeah, I don't really see what they're gonna do with Cam now or long term. Like, I get the skill set fit, and in a lot of ways, that's all you should really be looking at. And I get the whole "don't draft for fit" need thing, but it's just like I don't really, I can't. It's hard for me to envision what Cam's role is gonna be on this team, especially if he works out. Like, how do you get a good Cam Johnson, you know, twenty five minutes out there? It's gonna be tough, I think. Yeah, uh, and I think if even if you take the complete context of the Suns out, this was a huge knock on Cam in general, is where does he play? Because he's not mm-hmm. big enough to guard fours. He's not quick enough to guard most threes and twos in the NBA, and he's a 6'9 shooter. So, you know, the fit on offense is pretty easy and seamless when he can do everything that he does as Mm -hmm. a floor spacer and shooter but the other end also needs to be played on the basketball court and yeah that's the knock I don't look into the Suns too much at the moment because I just don't think even now that this roster is even close to what James Jones wants it to be in his image so I'm not too concerned about kind of playing around with the pieces and going is he a starter is he a bench player I think all that's going to play out in the long run and at the moment they're just focused on getting good basketball players that they believe in obviously they believe in cam a little more than most but yeah i think it's a better point in terms of just taking the context of the suns out of it completely because it was a knock on cam even pre-draft before he had an nba team and that's going to be the biggest knock on him and again i'm going to try and highlight in some videos both positives and negatives here i think there's some more positives we can look to with that iq you know they used him as a screener quite a lot which i can see with guys like devin booker I think, you know, his gravity there, he's very good at using his gravity as a cutter, as a screener, um, you know, as a slasher, a backdoor. So I think there's some stuff there we can look at with him playing off ball uh, with guys like Devin Booker and, and just in general. Um, but I'll also, yeah, try and look at some of that negative stuff because when he is isolated one-on-one against bigs and smalls, he kind of loses out most of the time. So mm-hmm. there's definitely some cause for concern there. As I said before with Jerome, I think they've got two guys that can play within a defense, but the NBA is a little bit more bully ball, pick on certain guys every now and then. And I think with both of these guys, we're going to have to be concerned with that in the longer term, particularly if we want to look at them being potential starters, which with Cam Johnson in particular taking him at 11, you definitely want there to at least be some upside for him to be a long-term starter on this team and probably worth noting with the age like he will be 27 28 by the time this rookie deal is over and then it's kind of how many more years does he even have in the NBA so from a value perspective I can understand why people were a little angry with picking him at 11 but he did work out for the Suns Max we got a secret one that no one picked up on that he gave away himself in a radio interview so again one reason why next year I am going to pay far less attention to what we know publicly from workouts because I think we find out what the team wants us to find out and we don't find out the rest. But he wore 13 as well at North Carolina, which as we know cannot be taken because the god Steve Nash himself wore that number last for Phoenix. But he wore 23 at Pitt before he went 
to North Carolina. So maybe that will be the number we see him wear for the Phoenix Suns, Max. I like it. Number 23 of North Carolina. That's worked out before. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I guess overall I've warmed up to the pick to an extent. I, shooting is just so important for us. And adding shooters makes sense almost no matter what. I, I look around that number 11 pick, and, and while obviously I was obsessed with Brandon Clark and really wanted to take him and, and think they should have taken him, yep. I don't really see a whole a lot of other guys who already have been much, much higher on than Cam Johnson. You know? Yep. Like, what the hell, Tyler Hero and Cam Johnson, that's kind of like a wash to me. Yeah. Um, I see, like, I, I see, I, I've heard Kellen saying that, you know, Sekou Boya. like, I don't want Sekou Boya on this team. No, I, no. I don't want that. I'd much rather have Cam Johnson than that. Sekou Boya won't play next year. He'll just suck. So, I mean, maybe he has more upside theoretically, but I don't give a shit about theoretic upside right now. Like, for me, this is Booker, Mikel, and Aiton, and we need to make that team work, and Cam Johnson helps them work. Brandon Clark would have made them work better, I think, in my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Cam Johnson... So let me put it this way: If Brandon Clark would have gone nine instead of Rui, I don't. I think I just would not have cared about this. I mean, it's fine. Similar for me if Culver was taken at five, I think, and I think it's yeah. worth noting. I think we're both willing to put that on the table and admit it. We're not being secretive about this. The, the easiest way for me to wrap it up is hate the pick, love the player, Max. That's yes. kind of what it boils down to for me. So let me ask you this: You know, obviously Cam Johnson went number eleven, Ty Jerome went number twenty-four. Uh, I think most people would value Cam Johnson more, or you know, at, at least just based on maybe draft position alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you had to pick one going forward, who would you rather keep in the roster? Because for me, I, I, it's Ty Jerome. Ooh, that's a tough one. I'm a little bit more concerned about the athleticism with Jerome than I think you are, mm-hmm. and I just I need to see it. I don't trust my kind of translation. Uh, projection skills quite as much so I need to see things most of the time before I really get great judgments so uh, I'd be going with Cam Johnson but um, it's a good point I think there's there's a discussion there at least for sure okay briefly David before we move on to Nerdcast let's talk about some of the other Suns guys uh, that they picked up we haven't had a chance to talk about yeah you want to start with Jalen the Q yeah he's a 19 year old kid straight out of high school didn't play college 6'4 190, 6'8 wingspan, I believe. Uh, As I said before, they gave him a four-year deal, which I believe is at the minimum, but we don't have the official numbers on that yet. He was the best Max Vert test at the Combine at 43 inches, Max. So he Mm. is all athleticism, extremely raw. Uh, Lots of people say, not me, Max, but lots of people say uh, Baby Westbrook when looking mm. at Jalen LeCue. So shout out to Ali again. He's got some video uh, on Twitter if anyone's looking or hasn't seen that yet. But other than that, there's not a hell of a lot other than to say he's an extremely raw guy and it's a great upside play by the team after the draft, I think. Yeah, let me say this on him. I Listen, I think it's fine to be excited to watch him and excited to have him around in the summer league and stuff. Yep. But I see a lot of people getting their hopes up about this guy. Don't get your hopes up about this guy. There's like a... 5% chance he even turns into an NBA player. The exciting part is that, you know, part of that 5% chance is he's a superstar, which <laughs> yeah. would be really cool, but, you know, it's still a very low probability. I'm excited for him. He should be fun. Uh, if you haven't seen the videos uh, that Ali posted, by the way, as David said, do that. They're really fun. He he literally looks like CGI, the way he dunks the ball. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, check him out. Enjoy him. Hopefully Summer League with him is interesting. He might get his ass kicked in Summer League. I, I, I expect that, actually. But uh, we'll see. Could be fun. Yep. And two other guys that made the Summer League roster, I believe, are Tariq Owens, who's a 6'10". They, well, they also gave Tariq Owens real quick a, a deal, too, I think. Similar one. 
Oh, okay. I haven't seen anything on that yet, so I'll have to have a look, which is interesting because I thought he'd be more of a summer league play. But uh, he's a kind of 6'10", power forward center from Texas Tech. Uh, it's quite funny for me. You know, I watched Jarrett Culver a lot, obviously, so I saw a lot of Tariq Owens. I watched a lot of Kobe White, so I saw a lot of Cam Johnson. And I watched a lot of DeAndre Hunter, so I saw a lot of Ty Jerome. Hmm. So it's, uh, you know, good looking out for me, sons, with uh, at least taking <laughs> some of these guys that I at least have some information on. But he's kind of a lob threat, uh, rim protecting type guy. Has a little bit of stretch potential. He's a decent shooter from out in the mid-range and beyond. He kind of gives me Hakeem Warwick vibes, Max, which mm. wouldn't wouldn't uh, bode too well with Suns fans who... No, I don't like those vibes. Hakeem coming to the Suns. But, you know, before that, he was an athletic big um, who, you know, had some potential in the NBA. Didn't quite work out, I don't think, before he went overseas. But that's kind of my mini, mini scouting report on Tariq Owens. And then they've got Jared Harper, who's an undersized guard from Auburn, who you probably have a, a few more thoughts on than I do, Max. Well, I just fell in love with Auburn in the tournament. I thought they were so fun. Uh, Jared Harper's fast as hell. He was the fastest uh, kid with the, the three-quarters quarter sprint at the yep. combine uh, by a lot. <laughs> He's also a gunner, a complete gunner, which is you know not as good. Mm-hmm. But uh, I loved him with Auburn in the tournament. Uh, one of those game, one of the upsets they pulled out, it might have been the uh, UNC upset. He was really the reason why. Just so calm and collected. Like, every time they tried to make a play on the other end, he would just, like, come down the, the other side and just score or get the line or something. Yeah. And just, he's just – he's awesome. I really like him. I don't know if he's an NBA player or not. Probably not. Um, excited to watch him in Summer League. I think he'll be fun. But, again, I don't expect anything out of any of these guys. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It'd be silly to expect anything out of these guys. But, uh, you know, I, I you know it's nice that they signed someone I've heard of, I guess. <laughs> Very true. Very true. All right. It's time for Nerdcast 2019. Here's what you're all in for. We're going to lay out the Suns' current cap situation, including by explaining the cap maneuvers they need to make to reach the amount of space that most people assume they already have. Yep. Then we're going to list every possible mechanism they can use to maximize their cap room to sign free agents, including a major free agent like D'Angelo Russell, while also explaining how all the mechanisms work along the way, including you know the exceptions, stretch provision, flexibility with trade salary matching, all that stuff. Yep. We're not going to go into every nuance of every rule because that would be a five-hour podcast. It would be boring <laughs> as hell. You can go to the uh, the Dunked On podcast for that if, if you'd like it. Um, but we'll explain enough so you'll know more about this than basically 99% of people. Yep. All right, David. Can you get us started by laying out your projection for what you think the Suns cap sheet will look like on July 1st going into free agency? I sure can. Uh, most people have probably seen it's a pinned tweet of mine on my account, but I have us at a likely space of $13.2 million. It's important to note that I think that no matter where you look, everywhere will look a little bit different, Max, because people have different calculations for things. Uh, but to explain my number, we've got Booker at 27.2, Tyler Johnson at 19.2, Aiton at 9.5, Jackson still at 7. Baines at 5.4, McHale at 4.1, Cam Johnson comes in with a starting salary of $4 million, Dario Saric earns a little bit under that, Ty Jerome 2.1, 
Okobo and Melton both make 1.4 each, and LeCue is on the minimum by my numbers at 897,000. So that's 12 players, which is important because it means there's no roster charges. We should explain that if you dip below 12 players on your roster at any moment in time, you're charged the minimum and you lose that in cap room. And there's the Kelly Oubre cap hold as well which is 9.6, which we'll get into a little bit later, Max. So that's a total of $95,789,668, and the cap is $109 so that's how you get to your space of 13.2. I've taken a few liberties, Max, which I should let everyone know. I've removed all the other cap holds, so Bender, Troy Daniels, all those guys that we think are going to be off the team or at least back on the team for money less than their cap hold. So it's important to note that going into the draft, they had, by my number, 10.1 million in space. And by making all those moves and removing homes, they actually get out to 13.2. So they've created more space. And probably the last thing to mention there, which I see a lot of people mention, is you cannot use that space max and then also have the mid-level exception, and the biannual exception. It's a bit of a misnomer that I see out amongst the fan base. It's one or the other, Max. You use the space or you use the exceptions. That is a key point. The Suns, like almost every other team in the league, have the option every year, unless you're so far over the cap you can't get under it, you have the option to go into free agency either over the cap, in which case you retain the right to use the mid-level exception, the biannual exception, mm-hmm. or you can go under the cap by giving up those exceptions. So Dave, can you briefly explain why a team might choose to operate over the cap, but why the Suns almost certainly won't? Yeah, this is actually really interesting from the Suns' perspective because before they move the moves that they made at the draft to eke out a little bit more space, there was actually a scenario you could see where using the exceptions rather than space was going to be a possibility for the Suns. And I'll kind of break that down with simple math so people can kind of see that. So the mid-level exception is $9.2 million and the biannual is 3.6. So that totals 12.8. So that was actually more than the space that they had going into the draft. Now the space that they have at 13.2 Plus, you get the room exception, which is a little bit smaller than the mid-level, but it is useful, and we'll get into that later as well, Max. Um, That comes out to 17.96. So with the space and the room, they're well ahead of what they would have had with the mid-level and biannual exceptions. And therefore, given you can only choose one avenue to go down, the Suns are very, very likely to use their remaining cap space and then use the room exception to sign maybe one more player max yep and one more point on why other teams sometimes like to operate over is because then they don't have to renounce their free agent cap holds yes um and the suns don't really have that problem because there's only one free agent they really really need to bring back Mm -hmm. um okay so let's move on so back to july 1st the suns now have 13.2 million dollars in space as david mentioned earlier this is with kelly Oubre's cap hold yes and explain real quickly why the suns need to keep that on the books if they renounce Kelly Oubre, they'll lose their bird rights on him. Mm-hmm. Bird rights are, put overly simply, a salary cap exception that allows teams to sign their own players over the cap. Yes. So if the Suns sign a free agent for $13 million and only have $200,000 left, they can still sign Kelly Oubre over the cap, all the way up to his entire max, as long as they keep his cap hold at all times. 
David, can you explain what the Suns' cap situation looks like with and without Oubre's cap hold? And then also give an explanation of the other reason why the Suns can't renounce Oubre. Yes. So the 13.2 I mentioned before has Oubre's cap hold on there and all the advantages of the bird rights that you explained. If they renounce that, it gets them up to 22.8 million in space max, which as you said, if they renounce him, you remove the bird rights, you remove the allowed move by the NBA to sign him over the cap after that cap hold. But also if you renounce him, you lose those matching rights for restricted free agency max. So as soon as the Suns renounce Kelly Oubre, he becomes an unrestricted free agent, which is something we've talked about quite a lot with D'Angelo Russell and the Brooklyn Nets. So if they want to get that space, they essentially lose any right to match a contract or an offer sheet that another team signs Kelly Oubre to, which, you know, that plus the bird rights together, you can see why there's a a major reason why the Suns would try any other way that they can to get cap space other than renouncing Kelly Oubre. Okay, so let's go ahead and assume we have $13.2 million in space and Kelly Oubre's cap hold. Yes. Let's say Gambo is flagrantly wrong and D'Angelo Russell actually (laughs) does want to come here to play with his buddy Devin Booker. Wouldn't that be a great day just for everyone? It would be so funny. It would be so funny. (laughs) Let's also assume the interest is mutual and the Suns want to pay him a max contract. Yep. David, can you explain what it means to pay D'Angelo Russell a max contract and how much space the Suns would need to create? Because there's some confusion even over what a max contract is. Not all maxes are the same. Max. No, I'm a, I'm a great Max, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a few Maxes in Suns Twitter as well, so shout out to any of those listening. But yeah, D'Angelo's only had um, four or five years experience in the NBA, so he sits in that bracket of zero to six max, which is essentially 25% of the cap. The same number for anyone listening as Devin Booker. So that's a really easy way to explain that one. It's 27.25 million, 25% of the cap. In the most recent CBA, they actually made it a hell of a lot easier to calculate these by just making them 25% of the cap instead of including basketball revenue and it made all of us nerds jobs a hell of a lot harder (laughs) to actually work out what the max is but that one's really easy then you've got the seven to nine year max max and that's 32.7 million an example of that this free agency is tobias harris so he gets 30 percent of the total salary cap of 109 million dollars and then for everyone who's got 10 or more years in the nba you get 35 percent of the cap kevin durant is an example, and that would be $38.15 million as your first year salary. So that's the three different maxes. And probably the only other thing to mention, the Supermax, you're not Supermax, you're just Max, <laughs> but the Supermax allows any of these players to jump to the 35% max when they're signing as a veteran. So there's some qualifiers with how you get there around uh, all NBA appearances and defensive player of the year and MVP, etc., etc. But the nuts and bolts of it is, is any one of those players can jump up to the 35% if a team and player choose to do so and they qualify. Yeah, I think that's an important point because people kind of view the Supermax like this like special other category. Really, it's not. You're just jumping to the, the 10-year experience thing. Yes. And that's yes. why I've heard people say things like, well, what what if Kevin Durant wants a Supermax or whatever? It doesn't matter if you have 10 more years. You already are at the Supermax. There's, there's nowhere else to go, David. Exactly. 
All right, so D'Lo wants to come. The Suns want to pay him his max. The only problem, they're about $14 million short in cap space. Mm-hmm. So are they totally screwed? No. They can create cap space even without relying on another team to do so with perhaps my favorite cap mechanism, David. I love the stretch provision. <laughs> the stretch provision, briefly explained, allows a team to take the remaining money on a player's deal and stretch it across double the number of remaining years on his contract plus one year. So the cap pit basically is lower, but it's spread across more years. The catch being the team must also cut the player, so the money becomes dead money. David, can you apply these principles to the Suns player most likely to be stretched, Tyler Johnson, explain how much cap space it would give us, along with the long-term effects it would have on us? Sure. As we said before, sneaky move by Tyler to only opt in after the draft because there were some other avenues here, renegotiating his contract, trading him, etc. But now that he has opted in, that $19.2 million is completely guaranteed. And really, other than trading him, which is probably quite unlikely at this point in time, Max, they have the stretch provision here. So as you explained, remaining money stretched over the years, double plus one. In Tyler's case, that's $19.2 million, which he has owing for one year. So you double the one year plus one, you get to three years. You can stretch the full $19,245,370 over three years. You get six four one five one two three, and that goes against this year's cap, next year's cap, and the following year's cap which saves you in total $12,830,247 for this offseason max, which brings our space just short of Delo's max or anyone in that zero to six max range. And I would have it at 26 million and four. We're just short. So that means we're screwed, right? We can't stretch anybody else. We're not screwed. We can stretch other people, <laughs> and we can make other moves, Max. Let me ask you about Josh Jackson then. So Josh Jackson's got two years left, right? Does that mean we have to go five seasons to stretch him? We don't, because up until October 31st, and this is worth talking about with Josh, because it's why they should trade him now so another team can make the decision on his fourth-year option. But they could decline that option any time between now and October 31st, which essentially just means he has one year at just over $7 million max. So we apply the exact same math as we did to Tyler Johnson, and you you have dead money on the books for three years of around $2.3 million each. And importantly, it would be $4.7 million in extra space. So we would easily jump over that max if that's the avenue that the Suns decided to go down. Yeah, so the key point with that part of it is just, you know, you sometimes see fans say, oh, they don't have enough cap space, they can't do it. There's, mm-hmm. You can do things. There's a lot of uh, leeway. Yeah, this is where Trevor Buckstein earns his money mm-hmm. because, you know, these are the simple things that even you and I understand for the most part. I'm sure they even have thought of other sneaky options that they might be able to get into to eke out a little bit more cap space for this team, particularly when you're falling just $1 or $2 million short of where you need to be, Max. Yep, there are some things you can do, especially when other teams are willing to help you out. So let's talk <laughs> about the sign-and-trade, which is often discussed and little understood. Yes. Under the sign-and-trade rule, a player signed and immediately traded to another team. It's rarely used and generally used when a player wants to sign with a team that doesn't have enough cap space, mm-hmm. and his current team is willing to give them up in exchange for assets from the signing team. 
There's a number of restrictions on these that don't really apply. They're mostly to taxpaying teams, so we'll ignore them here. Yep. David, can you explain how a sign-in trade might look here with D'Lo and the Suns and why it is or isn't a realistic scenario? Yeah, the main restriction that I you know like and point to is it has to be a minimum of three years and a maximum of four years, that contract. So mm-hmm. that's a, a pretty um, big reason why we don't see a lot of these because that's a pretty small window that you can sign these guys to. You can't go doing short deals or, or very large deals either. So you know, with the D'Lo example in particular... It's very unlikely because, particularly in Brooklyn's case, they'd be getting rid of D'Lo because they want all that space mm-hmm. that removing him creates because they're looking at you know, signing Kyrie and KD, for instance. That's kind of what we're hoping for as Suns fans. If you want D'Angelo Russell, you kind of want Brooklyn to win big in free agency. So it's less frequent these days because there's really little benefit to the other team in doing the deal because they have to take back a bunch of salary, not quite to match what Delo's eventual salary with the Suns will be, but as you said, pretty close up to it if they're a over-the-cap team. And, you know, again, in the Nets case in particular, they don't want any salary. So mm. it makes a sign-and-trade virtually impossible from that standpoint. Yep, that's exactly what I had in mind, David. All right. So instead of signing trades then, how about normal trades? The yep. Suns can dump salary of certain players to teams who either, one, have enough cap room and are willing to just completely absorb a contract into cap space, see mm-hmm. TJ Warren trade, or, number two, a team that is over the cap but willing to send back a player or players who make less money. So the key restriction on that second point is that the salary must be matched. And what it means a match salary is uh, it fluctuates depending on the salary amount involved. So if a team's sending out up to $6.5 million, it can bring back up to 175% of the outgoing salary plus $100,000. Mm-hmm. If a team is sending between $6.5 million and $19.6 million, it can then bring back the entire outgoing salary total plus $5 million. Yep. And then if a team is sending over $19.6 million, it can bring back 125% of that outgoing salary plus $100K. And then just a small little note, that's, that's always the rule for tax-paying teams. Yes. So, David, can you explain the Suns' salary dumping options with those rules in mind, whether into cap space or for lower matching salary, and kind of how realistic you see those being? Yeah, the the Suns kind of did us a favor here again with a very recent example in TJ Warren. You know, that was essentially a dump move, as we're explaining here. They attached pick 32 to TJ for the Indiana Pacers to absorb his full contract into their cap. And we will see how that goes for both teams in the future. As I mentioned before, Tyler is unlikely or not realistic because you're not going to find a team, particularly early on in free agency, to take his full $19.2 million into space. Although you may find a team that will be happy to send you less money. I kept talking about the J.R. Smith contract, which looks like it's very unlikely now. The far more likely one is Josh Jackson at the moment. And, you know, as we said before, you can you might attach something like a D'Anthony Melton or Ali Okobo as the prize to a team to take on Josh Jackson. And if you manage to do it without taking any or much salary back, Max, you can clear around $8.5 million if it was two of those players. So I think that's quite realistic. The timing is key. Whether you can find a team early on in free agency to do that or not, I'm not too sure. There are a couple of teams that are 
you know, have lots of space and probably willing to take on money. Atlanta Hawks is definitely one of those teams, Max. So that's probably the most likely scenario if you look up and down our cap sheet because most of the other one-year contracts are guys that they literally just brought in and look to be mm-hmm. bringing them in for a playable reason. So Josh Jackson is the one with the target on his back, I would imagine. All right, let's assume the Suns use all of their cap space to sign D'Lo and then go way over the cap for Kelly Oubre. They're you know near the luxury tax now. Does that yep. mean they're completely done? No, that means they have the room level left for them, which is gained by teams that renounce the MLE and BAE and then use cap room. Yep. Uh, and then, of course, also players can sign minimum deals at any time under the minimum player exception for any team. David, can you explain how the Suns can use the room mid-level and minimum player exceptions, assuming they go over the cap this summer? Yep, so the room exception total, I calculated this out for the new season, is $4.76 million max. So nothing to sneeze at. It can be a starting salary of one player, or you can split it over multiple players max. But the key is those contracts can only be two years long in length. So no long-term contracts starting at $4.7 million for any of these guys. The minimum player exception, which I believe can be maximum two years again, but most of the time when you see them, they are only for one year. Uh, They essentially don't count against the cap. And I'm glad you mentioned the stretch provision before as your favorite cap mechanism because getting real nerdy here this is probably my favorite thing in the cba and this is why it encourages teams or doesn't dissuade them from signing older veterans rather than younger ones max so the Mm. nba actually reimburses teams for any amount that they spend on a mid uh, a minimum deal over the second year amount. So there's if you look in the, you know, CBA FAQ, you can have a look at it or in the CBA itself, there's essentially a set minimum whether you've got 1 year's experience, 2 years, 3 years, 4 years, 5 years, 6 years, 7 years, 8 years, 9 years and then an amount for everyone with 10 years plus service in the NBA. So for example, if we sign a 10-year veteran to the minimum this season, Max, his actual cash money that he would get into his bank account is $2.56 million. But that doesn't account against the cap, and the two-year amount is $1.61 million. So the NBA sends $950,000 back to the team. And I know a lot of people will be listening saying, Robert Sava or basically any NBA owner is cheap and why are we sending them back money and blah, blah, blah. However, I really like this rule, not from that standpoint, but it means that some of these veterans stick around in the league a lot more because teams will always take the cheaper option, Max. Yeah, just like Jamal Crawford. It works out great for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) One last thing I want to briefly mention before we get to Did You Know. Uh, Teams can structure contracts with free agents differently. You don't need to pay the same amount of money every single year for, for example, a four-year, $60 million deal. Yes. You're allowed to vary those things by raises or by decreases. Mm-hmm. And there are limits on that. If you're if you're signing your own team, a uh, player with bird rights, it can be up to 8% per year. Correct. Uh, if you're signing another team's uh, player, it's 5%. Yep. And uh, those can go both ways. And, those, and the last thing I'll say is those 5 and 8% are calculated based on the first year. It doesn't like compound an interest or anything. They try to make this easy for us sometimes. Yep, and TJ Warren is a great example of going up and down in a contract. 
if anyone wants to have a look at that. And I might have an example of a completely declining contract coming up very shortly, Max. And I might have an example of a completely increasing one. <laughs> uh, but let's first get the did you know before we go to our mock free agency. Well, Max, I almost pre-warned you about Did You Know Again this week, but just like last week, I really think you should have seen this one coming. So did you know there's only been one Australian to suit up for the Phoenix Suns in the history of the franchise? There's only a minus a million points on offer here for you if you get it wrong, <laughs> but can you tell me who that was? Oh, man, I'm going to be in trouble. Uh-oh. <laughs> I don't remember. Who is it? It's Luke Longley. Oh, yeah, 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 okay. But Luke came up on the last episode and has come up quite a few times before in Did You Know, so we aren't going to focus on him too much. The guy we're going to focus on is the newly acquired Aaron Baines. As mentioned at the top of the show, Baines has come to the Suns via the Celtics, but has been in the NBA for a decent period of time and playing professionally even longer than that. Before all that, though, Baines was actually born in New Zealand, so like Russell Crowe and plenty of other famous quote-unquote Australians, Baines is a little pretend, but unlike Russell, we actually like Aaron Baines, and he plays for our national team, so I am 100% claiming him. He's not as... a real Australian like Kyrie Irving, who was born in <laughs> Exactly. I'm 100% claiming him as the second Aussie to play <laughs> for the Phoenix Suns. That is, as long as he does suit up, Max. There are, of course, rumors of buyouts, and hopefully this segment doesn't go down as the jinx on Baines never actually suiting up in the purple and orange. But back to basketball for a second, Baines went undrafted in 2009 after four full years of college at Washington State. He averaged a decent 12.7, 7.5, and 1.3 blocks on 58% shooting in his senior year. After missing out in the draft, though, he went to Europe like most do, played in Lithuania, Germany, Greece, and Slovenia. Now, Max, this might actually be the hardest quiz I've ever given you on Did You Know Before, so plenty of points on offer to get that million back that you just lost. So <laughs> keeping with the theme of nationalities playing for Phoenix and Baines, are you prepared to get a bunch of things wrong? Oh, God, I guess. <laughs> Lithuania, Baines played for Litvos Ritas in their local league where he actually became a title winner. And this might be my favorite fact I've ever brought up on Did You Know? A slam dunk champion. <laughs> okay. But can you Wait, tell hold on, me... Hold on, hold on. Is, there, is there a video of that? Is there a YouTube? I, ha I didn't actually look, but someone should go and find it, please. Oh but can you tell me any Lithuanians that played for Phoenix in the past or any in the league today? Oh, man. Man, Lithuanians. No, I can't. Sorry. Well, it's a trick question on the Suns. There's zero. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you for that. But Sabonis, Montiunis, and Valanciunas are all very recent Lithuanians mm. in the NBA. Germany, though, Baines played for Oldenburg for a year. I won't trick you again. There's been no Germans on the team, which I found a little surprising, particularly given there's seven, I believe, in the NBA from last season. You may know at least one German Max. I got two. I, I got at least two. I got Dirk Nowitzki and I got Dennis Schroeder's German, right? There you go. So uh, Isaac Bonger, I believe, is German. Mo Wagner, Hartenstein, Maxi Kleber, Schroeder, as you mentioned, and Danielle Theis with Boston. On to Greece now, Max. Baines played for Icaros. There's only one Greek ex-son, Max. Any guesses? Oh, God. 
No, who is it? Huge white guy who I think wore number 25, Jake Socolides, who played mm, yeah, in the early 2000s. What about current NBA? Surely you know a Greek player in the NBA, Max. No, don't know a single player, not even one with it in his, uh, in his name. <laughs> yep, so there's all the answer to Kumpos, obviously. Uh, Costa Kufus, and apparently Tyler Dorsey is Greek, which okay. I did not know. <laughs> Uh, Slovenia last, and easily the easiest here, Max. Baines played for Union Olympia in Slovenia. Can you name one of the three sons from Slovenia? Goran Dragic. Yes. That's, you said one. I got one. <laughs> what about his brother? Zoran, Zoran, Goran, Zoran, Goran, Goran, Zoran. And Marko Milicic. And what about the two in the NBA right now, Max? Luka Doncic is in the NBA. Is that right? That is very true. Plus... Uh, Goran as you mentioned but back on Baines now he left Slovenia after a contract offer from the Spurs he played there for three seasons winning a title in 13-14 before moving to Detroit and then Boston to tie Longley back in here now who of course won his fair share of titles the Suns gave up the Milwaukee pick in the trade for Baines and also gave up a future first in the Longley deal that pick in the Longley deal ended up falling in at 16 and became none other than Ron Artest. Let's hope neither of those things happen with the Milwaukee pick that should be far worse in the high 20s, I would imagine, Max. But let's do a quick over-under on Baines' stats for the Suns next year. I wanted to use Longley's stats in Phoenix, but funnily enough, they're probably too good due to his minutes played to have an over-under with Baines' numbers. So we'll go with Baines' career numbers here. So over-under 15.1 minutes for the Suns next year, Max. Um, ooh, that's a good number. I actually think over. Yep. What about 5.4 points? Ooh. Oof. Uh, slightly over. 4.4 rebounds? Slightly over. 0.5 of a block? <laughs> uh, I'll go under. <laughs> Not the most impressive career stats, but I think we both agree <laughs> that his influence will reach far greater than the stat sheet for Phoenix. Before we go, though, I just want to throw up a nickname for Baines, as I've seen a few thrown around on Twitter. Shout out to our friend Zona, who referenced the Aussie bruiser the other day, but us Aussies definitely don't use the word bruiser, so I'm not going with that one. But we really want to lean into the Aussie thing here, Max, and Baines being a redhead, we call those rangers in Australia. <laughs> so for Aaron Baines, we're going with the ranger banger, Max. <laughs> to end Baines interestingly has never been traded before until now he signed via free agency with all three of his teams in the past and I think that's a nice note to end on and jump straight into our free agency mock right now Max I'm trying to catch my breath from Ranger Banger <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, now it's time for our mock free agency segment we did this last year in case you guys happen to remember one of us asks the Suns GM entering for agency, doing what we would do if we were the GM, while the other acts as the other teams and player agents in negotiations. And then mm -hmm. we switch. Uh, this year, we're going to start with me as the GM. Okay, David, are you ready for this? I am. All right, so I'm James Jones, I guess. No, I'm GM Max McCauley. You can uh, be your own man. Doing, you can be I your am, own man. I'm my own man. But I might do something similar to what James Jones is going to do. I'm going to begin free agency by calling Malcolm Brogdon's agent. Ooh. So Malcolm Brogdon's agent, whose name I don't know. Uh, the word David, on the street, Nash. David, David Nash. David Nash is my name. <laughs> David Nash. <laughs> so the word on the street 
is there might be a four-year, $80 million offer out there for you. That's, that's what we're hearing. Yep. Uh, we're hearing the Bucks are you know, possibly willing to match it. Not sure. We're willing to go higher than that, uh, David Nash. We want I like to go higher. The, I really like the sound you. of that. Yep. I like my commission on that higher salary. <laughs> we think you fit perfectly what we're doing here. These high IQ decision maker shooter guys, like you're perfect for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're thinking about a possible four for 90 ish, 89, 90, depending on how much room we get. Yep. Uh, with a player option, starts at about twenty million dollars a year with maximum raises. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll become putative in the in the later years of the contract, like twenty three, twenty four. You know, the years Milwaukee would have Giannis supermax. Yep. Uh, so we're thinking it might be enough to get Milwaukee. We want to ask you guys two things. First of all, would that be interesting to you? And second of all, do you think that might get it done with Milwaukee? It's interesting. I think the twenty million is around about where the cutoff is going to be for Milwaukee. So the fact that it's starting at 20 million makes it a little tempting for the Bucks to match. Uh, but as you said, getting punitive with raises, I think you might be in with a shot if we sign that offer sheet, Max. And and it's also a 21 million year start more than 20. So it's a little higher. Okay. And then, like I said, it's, it's the years Giannis gets a super max. That's when it gets even higher and it's going to be luxury tax city. So Malcolm Brogdon's agent, you would accept that four for ninety with a player option at the end, and we'll have to wait for Milwaukee to match. Is what you're saying? Yep, that's a that's an offer we'd be willing to put pen to paper on. I think that's the best offer I'm going to get out there on the open market, and I'm happy to force the Bucks' hand. I, I have a slight indication that it won't be matched, but we can never be sure until those two days play out, Max. All right, next thing I'm doing, I'm announcing to the whole league. That Josh Jackson is available for a salary dump with Elliot Kobo together. You just get them both. Mm-hmm. Straight up. Yep. I'm looking at a couple teams. I'm going to call the Sacramento Kings first. Okay. Sacramento Kings, Vlade, would you just take Josh Jackson and Elliot Kobo into your cap space of, I think you guys have like 35 or whatever you have? We really like our chances of signing a max free agent this offseason. So. <laughs> yes. Uh, at July 1, I'm pretty apprehensive, although I have liked Josh in the past. So uh, that's me playing my cards there. All right, let me call the Knicks. New York Knicks. Uh, Kyrie's going to Brooklyn. Uh, Kevin Durant's not coming to you. He's going with Kyrie or he's staying. Mm-hmm. Are, are, have you guys resigned to this yet? Or are you, are you willing to take on Josh Jackson, Elliot Kobo, and just straight up? Or, or are you still trying to hold out for other free agents? We might move to our plan B of Harrison Barnes. <laughs> now, the Knicks, I think, would be more willing, particularly after a couple of blows early on around, uh, I was going to say midnight, but it's actually moved this year, which is going to be why we can do our episode next mm-hmm. week, Max. But, uh, yeah, the Knicks would be more willing to take that on. Okay, so I'll also open up to the rest of the league. Atlanta, calling you. Anybody else more interested in the Kings or Knicks would be in this? I think Atlanta would be very into it because they don't have those initial aspirations in free agency, Max. Okay, I'll give it a call to Travis Schlank. Travis Schlank, you just picked up Cam Reddish, got some upside there. You uh, you don't really have a backup guard prospect as far as I'm aware. Uh, L.A. Kobo could be that for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think? Josh X and L.A. Kobo straight into space? Uh, let's do it. All right. There you go. There you go. You just got Josh Jackson and Elliot Kobo. <laughs> I'm into so, it. So uh, that clears me up to about $21 million. It's it's, yep. it's about that for the Suns. We'll just say that. Yep. So I'm calling back progress agent. Here we go. Got that offer sheet around. Starts 21. It goes four years. It's about 89 to 90-ish million. It's, it's right about there. We good with this? You in? I'm in. All right. You signed it. 
And now, David, it's up to you. You're Milwaukee. What's Milwaukee thinking? As I said, really tough. This was around the cutoff. We're not making this up either, Max. Now I'm talking no. as Dave, David Nash, your, your podcast host here. But $20 million does appear to be the rumored cutoff for Malcolm Brogdon. And that's, can I, can I real quick put in there, that's $20 million per year. This is starting at 21, but gets up to 24-ish. Yeah. And, uh, and also, if they sign this and sign uh, Chris Middleton to a max, this puts them at the luxury tax before, before they even get to Brooke Lopez. So this is tough. Yeah, dangerous territory, and, and well before that new big contract for Giannis as well, mm-hmm. which is obviously where it gets very punitive. So really tough because they were so close this season. But as your podcast host, I'll, I'll ask you first, kind of looking at the roster, you're kind of happy to spend all this space, obviously, on Brogdon and then just fill out with some smaller pieces. And then what about the future down the line as well, paying so much money for, I guess, a Brogdon Booker backcourt? Yeah, I just think Malcolm Brogdon's really, really good, and I, I think he especially disagree. given. So I think I would have been less in on this before the draft happened. Yep. But I'm a big fan, and this is why. Uh, slight tangent: why I love the Arizona Cardinals draft so much because they went and got Kyle Murray, and then they went all in on him and just just went all the way to that air raid his system thing. Yep. And this to me would be the same kind of thing. It's like if you're gonna go get Ty Jerome and Cam Johnson, and you're gonna get Saric and Bain, just go all on guys who like give a shit. And play defense and can shoot. Like this is your guy. This is the guy who completely, you know, fits that identity and stuff. So yes, now if with this team in place, this is the guy I want to get. Yep, um, I'm with you on that. I think he's a perfect fit. Um, it's just the money that makes me a little bit anxious because you mm-hmm. kind of lose a bit of the appeal. You know, a lot of the and appeal. there are injury problems too with him. And there's some yes. speculation there might be an Embiid sort of contract on him. Uh, so part of the idea of me sailing from Milwaukee is I'm not doing any of that. There's no non-guarantees of any kind. This is all guaranteed. Yep. And to jump back in, I think just to keep this moving, I think you've done probably just enough to the point where they balk at it and let him walk to the Phoenix Suns, considering that they already signed Eric Bledsoe to an extension, which has come back to bite them in this scenario, Max. It really has. They shouldn't have done that. And then uh, also, I'm glad you did that because this podcast would be long enough without me having to do a plan B. <laughs> so, all right, I am capped out. Yes. But I still have the room mid-level, as we mentioned earlier, for a backup point, uh, power forward of some kind, mm-hmm. which I think yep. we really need. Uh, my list here is Jordan Bell, Jared Dudley, Kenneth Fareed, Ed Davis, and Rashawn Holmes. Hey. So I'm thinking I might, my, my number one here, I, it's actually Jared Dudley. I know Suns fans didn't like the way it went last time because it didn't go well. You made $30 million over three years and didn't do very much. Yep. But this is a different team. We have a smart, high IQ shooting team now. This is a team that's ready to start kind of putting things together. I'm ready to call Jared Dudley right now and his agent and say, okay. hey, Jared Dudley, full room and level, two years, second year, team option. What do you think? Am I playing or not playing? You are playing. You are our backup power forward. You are the guy who comes in behind Dario Saric. We can give you a guaranteed about 10 minutes a game. Okay, and who are my other vets at the moment, Max? Your other vets on the team? Yes. we got Aaron Baines playing right alongside you. Uh, Dario Sarge is the guy right in front of you. Obviously, yep. Devin Booker's around. Tyler Johnson, which is an underrated part of why I like this uh, move I made here. Mm-hmm. Not only bring in Malcolm Brogdon, but we keep Tyler Johnson. Tyler Johnson is now our number one guard off the bench. He also is joined by Ty Jerome, who's not a vet, but is about as vetty as you can get for somebody who's a rookie. <laughs> so you are going to play on a backup unit with Tyler Johnson, Ty Jerome, uh, either Mikel or Ubre, which, you know, both those guys are smart players. You can play with them. 
Uh, you'll be along with Aaron Baines, like I said. So you're going to be with like a not a, a shit show like you were before. You'll be with a real lineup, I think. I, th- I think this is a rule that will work for you. Any second year money in that one, or is it a one year only? Uh, I originally said uh, team option, but I'm willing to go to a non uh, half guaranteed. So I'll give you half the room at level guaranteed. That's the kicker. That's definitely the kicker. All right, we're we're in. I'm coming back for a third time. Let's do it. Jared Dudley is back. So so. I'll briefly describe what my team looks like here, and then we'll move uh, to you, Dave, and you can also yep. comment what you think. Yep. So starters at guard, Malcolm Brogdon, Devin Booker. Starters at four, since I'm in charge here, Mikel Bridges. We'll start with Dario Saric. Yep. And then the center will be DeAndre Ayton. Yep. Uh, I'm, I'm going to skip over the negotiations with Kelly Uber. Just assume we signed him over the cap because we're able to. Okay. Uh, David, will, David will go into that more, more closely. Yep. But my bench is going to be Tyler Johnson, Ty Jerome. Uh, still got DeAnthony Melton there as a third guard. I have forwards Kelly Oubre and Cam Johnson. Uh, Jared Dudley also. Cam Johnson is going to be kind of like a slow, slow start to get into the year. Uh, Oubre and Dudley come up first, and then Cam Johnson will kind of mix in there, and we'll see how he plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then obviously Aaron Baines will be the backup center, and then you know maybe we'll bring back Bender on a minimum or something to be with him. Yep. Uh, so that's my idea, David. What do you think? I think it's pretty good. There's a, a little bit of duplicity with what I'm going to go through, which I think uh, is smart. Because I think my moves are smart, so therefore your moves are smart, Max. <laughs> um, and you know, this is a—I've gone a different direction, as the listeners will hear very soon. But it, this is the question: Is do you go all in for one player that makes a hell of a lot of sense that really has a chance at being a long-term starter on the team, or do you kind of mix in some? veteran multiple pieces to this team to make it a really deep team which is the angle that i've gone and therefore we can jump into that if you don't have anything else to bring into the table max yeah i think real quick i'll say they can go either way i, I really think um yeah. and i think the, the, they give themselves flexibility part of the reason why i like the tj warren trade so much is they already kind of have done some free agency right they yes. got sarge and bain so they have more flexibility to commit to one guy and then still have you know a full roster but yep. I, I think they, they could still go the other way too and just really assemble uh, more players, which I think you're about to do, David. So looking at my team pre-July 1 here, Max, I think there's kind of three big needs, defense, athleticism, and creation. You kind of look at mm-hmm. the depth chart at the moment after those moves in uh, on draft day. There's still a likely opening spot there at starting point guard. Uh, there's really nothing behind Devin Booker at shooting guard. And nothing, as we said previously, behind Saric at power forward. And a real lack of athleticism, I think, Max, is something that really stands out for me. An extra creation for Devin, which, you know, we don't want another season where he's overworked here and uh, doesn't get the best out of himself and the team. So I want to create an even deep team, as we mentioned just before, with plenty of flexibility this season and in the future. So a slightly different look to your going all in on one player look, which I think is definitely worthwhile thinking of, but we're going to bring a couple of different examples here for the listeners. So I've got 14 players on the books, including Holmes and Oubre, but Mm. step one is I'm going to renounce Holmes, as we mentioned before, let him explore other options. I think now that we've got Baines, it's probably a good thing for him to go and find a new team. So Mm. that gets me to that 13.2 in space and 13 players on the roster. Uh, Like you did, I'm going to dump Jackson. We don't have to go through that whole exercise again, but I also attached a Kobo as the prize there. Uh, And that should be enough, I think, to find a cap space team for Josh. So that gets me to 20.78, I believe, with 11 players and one roster charge. So four spots to fill, 
going into July 1. Uh, the new JJ team, as we mentioned, has that October 31 deadline for his fourth year option. So they not a huge deal for them taking that Josh contract, as we said. So it's on to the Suns free agency. And my number one rule here is stay away from restricted free agents because I think it's dangerous. Played out quite well for you in your mock scenario. But obviously there is a chance that that gets matched and you've just lost a whole bunch of time and effort with other free agents max so that i'm staying away from that one yeah and that's fair so as you mentioned my step three here is i don't want to lose kelly uh or let a silly offer like the brogdon one come to the suns and have to decide whether to match so i think he ticks all of those boxes to some degree the defense definitely the athleticism and a little bit of creation, not the greatest passer, but just being able to create for himself off the dribble and uh, put pressure on the defense. So I'm really prioritizing Kelly here. So I'm ringing up you as his agent, Max, and I'm posing the question, how does $60 million over four years sound to you? Man, I thought I was going to have to negotiate with you, but uh, apparently you love me as much as I love the Valley Boys. <laughs> uh, you can give me the structure of it and everything, but uh, it sounds pretty good. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to make it five years, but the fifth year is going to be completely non-guaranteed, which means you get that around $62 million for your troubles. And the reason we're going to do that, Max, is we're going to be able to start it at $16.6 million for you in year one. And given your cap hold is only 9.6, that really doesn't matter to the Suns' salary situation this year. And it's going to decline every year down from there and only ends at 11.3 in its final year. So as the cap continues to go up, the Cali Oubre contract is going to go down and therefore be valuable to the Suns even if you don't quite work out at your max potential that we're currently hoping to sign you for. Mm, so this is a five-year... So I thought it was going to be a four-year 60. This is a five-year 60? It's a five-year 70, but $62 okay, okay. million dollars of it is guaranteed to you, Kelly. Okay, so if I if I play, if you pick up my option in the fifth year, I get $70 million across five years. Correct. You know, I was I was came here ready to negotiate, but I, I love being here. That is a totally fair offer. I'm all 100% in. I'm signed out of line. I'm glad we could save everyone time and effort here <laughs> and move on to my step four in July and real, real 1. Quick, David, I want to make very quick. Uh, you kind of pointed this out. I want to make very clear. This does not count against the cap at all for them this summer because they're going to sign it after they sign everybody else. Yes, so we've just agreed to that. It's been announced by Woj, but we're not actually putting pen to paper until I get all my other moves done here, and Kelly will literally be the last signing for the Phoenix Suns, and then he'll release all his Valley Boys merchandise, Max. (laughs) (laughs) So my next priority is point guard, which is a tough choice between defense and creation for me. You look again at this roster, really lacks defense, but it also lacks creation, so finding a guy that ticks both of those boxes is very hard. I'm focusing in on two main targets here, and that's Patrick Beverly and Ricky Rubio, Max, and I'm going to let the money decide. So you're going to have to wear two hats. I don't believe they share the same agent, so we'll just flip-flop between the two of them. Rubio's 29, Beverly is 31. So ideally, I really want two years here, uh, and just letting you know 
uh, as the agent, um, you probably shouldn't know this, but three years is probably the maximum that I would go on either of these guys. So for my next move, I think I want them, I want around the mid-level money, so 9.2 left over after this signing to do something else. So 20.78 minus 9.2 is 11.58 max. So let's call that 11.58 times 3. Around 35 over 3 is what I'm looking at here. So I'm calling you again, Rubio and Beverly. Will you take that with a team option on the third year or a partial guarantee? Well, we're not the same human, David. Which one are you calling? I'm calling Beverly first. He's my priority. All right, Beverly says, fuck you. <laughs> Patrick Beverly is really, he's got a lot, from what I've heard, he's a lot of teams interested in him. We are, we're a hot commodity here, guys. I'm I'm scared going full three years for Pat Bev at 31 years of age. We so can get it's... that from, from a good team, David. We don't give a shit about your stupid offers. You're going right. to really, you're gonna have to really pay us. I'm, if you want to get me here, it's four years or it's $15 million, man. You might want to call Rubio. All right, we're calling Rubio. Rubio, 335. So the Pacers have offered me three for for uh, thirty two. Okay. And listen, I'd rather go to the Pacers. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. But I'm a, I'm still a 29 year old man, as you mentioned. If if you gave me a player option on that, uh, I can get back out there when I'm 31. When I'm when I'm Beverly's age, he's you know I won't be as angry as he is, but I'll, I'll be his age. <laughs> uh, yeah, I could maybe get in on that. So three years, 35, and I want a player option in the last year. I can do that. Because if you play up to it and go out again in free agency, I'm going to have a cap sheet that, you know, maybe the Suns are even looking to not prioritize you just like Utah did this season, Max. So uh, we might chase something else at that point. So 335 player option. I can live with that. I'm happy. um, Let's do that. All right. Sign it out of the line. Ricky Rubio is a Phoenix Sun. I like it. I like it. I've got my starting point guard now. So... On to step five here. I've got that mid-level money left because you didn't screw me too hard on that deal there, Max. So I can go out and get another power forward to essentially timeshare with Saric. I don't know who's going to be the starter here, but as I said at the top, I want to create a competitive deep team here where no one's position is safe. So my targets here are Aminu and Jermichael Green because, again, defense, athleticism, and a little bit of shooting from outside from both of those guys as well. So again, I'm going to go with Aminu first. My offer is three years, $29 million, and it starts at that 9.2 that I said that I've got left with 5% raises, which you mentioned before as a quirk with uh, outside free agents, Max. Yeah, it's just not going to get it done for me. Portland's offered me $10 million a year for two years, and I'd rather stay. Okay. Uh, so unless you're going to find a way to overpay me, it's 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 not going to happen for me. All right, I'm picking up the phone to Jermichael Green. Okay, uh, it's interesting. I mean, I'm not super happy about this idea that I'm that I might not start. Uh, so you can't guarantee me a starting spot at all, no matter what. I have to sit behind uh, uh, that that Croatian guy. You don't have to sit behind him, but I will happily take you into training camp, roll the ball out, and whoever wants to back themselves in, can win that starting spot next to DeAndre Ayton. Okay. All right. Can you give me a player option on the end of this? Three years, 29 mil. You're a lot older than people may realize, Jermichael. So a player option, again, like the Rubio scenario, I wouldn't be too bad whether it's either way with that in the third year. So, yep, if that's going to get it done, you are here with a third-year player option, Jermichael. 
All right, let's do it. All right, so I've got my maybe starting power forward next to Dario Saric there. I've plugged two big holes, and there I get quickly to my step six and seven. Like you, I've got the room exception. I'm going to give that to Wayne Allington as some backup shooting and another vet off the bench just for one year, Max. I think he'd be pretty happy taking that money, to be honest, because I think it's that or a minimum with a contender. And Wayne Allington point- says, okay. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> I was hoping you weren't going to screw me too much. And then I've got a fourth player available here with to get to my 15 spots. And very much like you, Max, we both can't let go of this guy. I'm looking at my roster. Bender's a perfect power forward and center third string at the minimum. So if he doesn't have any other offers from around the league... I'm going to bring him back, and therefore my 15-man roster is complete. That's with Rubio starting at point guard, Booker at shooting guard, Oubre at small forward, Jermichael Green at power forward, DeAndre Ayton at center. And then I've still got Tyler as a combo, Ellington for shooting, Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson, Saric at power forward, Baines at the backup big spot, and then Jerome LeCue, Melton, who I think should survive on this roster, we should touch on that very quickly, Max, because of his defense, athleticism, and being able to switch between multiple positions. Whether he does or not is another thing to be seen. Gambo says no. Gambo says no. Another thing to root against Gambo for. <laughs> and uh, and then I've got Bender as my backup big, which I think is a good move as well. So, as I said, deep team with good vet presence. Probably the team that they should have built last offseason, Max. Uh, and we've got Tyler's expiring for a big move. So I'm not saying this is my team I'm locked into for the next two or three years. I actually think we've got some smart market rate deals there. So plenty of flexibility for future trades coming up. Uh, and make the young guys come in and earn their minutes and compete. So that was my, my big aim here with my offseason. And because you didn't rake me over the coals too much, uh, we achieved it all. Yeah, I think this is a good exercise to kind of see what the Suns' options are. I think uh, in my in my scenario, they went with you know the more clear, good, like, really really good player. Yep. But then they punted kind of on the the, the necessary uh, athleticism they needed that power forward spot, yes. which you were able to get by getting a you know a worse option at point guard. So this you know it's all a matter of allocating assets. I think one interesting thing is neither of us tried to move or stretch Tyler Johnson. I think it's because you and I both think that if, if he could be like a bench guard, it would be really nice to have him around. Yeah, if he was Ryan Anderson, I'm stretching him mm-hmm. straight up because he's not playing next year and the vet presence isn't enough to keep him on the roster. But Tyler's playable and he's playable yeah. at both backup point guard, depending on what they do there, and also backing up Booker at shooting guard as well. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, his flexibility, Monty's already talked about loving him. I don't think James Jones went out and got him just for nothing. I think he likes him too. Um, Tyler holding off, making sure he didn't get traded, maybe shows that there's a little bit of mistrust there. Not too sure. Maybe it was just a formality and we're reading too much into it. But yeah, I'm happy to bring him back and play him, particularly because at guard, depending on what they do in free agency, still a little thin there, Max. Yes, they absolutely are. I think the most important thing for them uh, that they can do is just get more competent guards. Mm-hmm. And if they sign either Brogdon or Rubio and put him in the bench and then have Ty Jerome with him, I think that's a nice step in that direction. All right, David, are we ready for seven seconds or less? I am always ready for seven seconds or less, Max. 
Okay, we'll skip the instructions because we're going long here. Of all the players mentioned today in our mock for agency or nerdcast, who does your heart most want to be on the Suns next season? Ooh, that is a very interesting question. Uh, my heart, and it's very much my heart, is Patrick Beverly because I think mm-hmm. as you showed in our exercise, it is very, very unlikely given his play this year and his overall market. And if it did happen, I think we may look at the deal of being a little bit dangerous for the Phoenix Suns. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. It's, it's definitely a heart over mind thing if we sign him for like $15 million a year. Yep. Uh, my answer is probably Malcolm Brogdon. I'm, I'm really into it now after what the Suns did in the draft. Yep. But uh, all right, rank your top five, David, in order of Suns players on the current roster who are most likely to make an all-star game at some point in their career. Oh, wow. All right. Um, looking at the depth chart, Devin Booker, number one. Yep. DeAndre Ayton, number two. Mm-hmm. Mikhail Bridges, number three. Agree so far. This is where it gets pretty messy. It's going to be very hard to get to five, Max. I know. So my point is that I think there's a fourth one that's possible-ish, and then the fifth one's like, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> All right, who are you going for your fourth? I have Ubre as fourth. I think that's yep. possible. Yep, yep. Um, and then fifth, I have uh, Jalen Lequeu, question mark? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's tough. I don't I don't really see a fifth one. Uh, especially like Kai Jerome. Yeah. Other than uh, maybe Cam Johnson in the three-point contest or 